Fagg of your choosing Tox News, your only source to the troubles of American class systems. Take two. Yeah, that's right. You heard take two because I fucked up the first one. All right. Package full day. Big package. Lots going on. Michael Knowles, of course. We got Tucker Carlson, of course. Enrico, Enrique, Enrique, Intario, of course. We've we've got a, a, a huge lineup packed. So let's end it with the intro music pleasantries and my terrible uh, segue through the introduction, and just get right into the juicy meat of toxicity. Let's uh, let's go get it over with. Let's get it done. Sever it by the limb. Let's let's do it. This brings us to CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference. has been going on for a long time. The American Conservative Union uh, puts it on. It's always a very fun event. I went last year where we did a, a verdict episode with Ted Cruz. A lot of I've been going for years and years. I, mean, I, I think I went to my first CPAC ten years ago. CPAC's title this year is America Uncancelled, fighting back against cancel culture and uh, fine, fair enough. But they just found out that one of their speakers, this guy, uh, Young Pharaoh, who I don't know what he does, but... I do. I know what he does. And that's specifically why I clicked this video. And it's because uh, a Facebook friend kept sending me this guy's videos as, as if like his perspective of the world was going to bring me into the light and understand that all of this COVID nonsense was to control my mind. So um, I, I, I'm a little aware of Young Pharaoh. I think I've watched like two of his four out, three to four hour streams. I've watched two of them. Um, and yeah, he's completely conspiratorial. I don't know if anything that Young Pharaoh reports on is based on any some sort of reality. Um, also wanted to highlight here how they're fighting back against cancel culture as their highlight of the conservative uh, convention just means that they're willing to ignore almost all of the actual issues that are affecting your life. So that's great because cancel culture literally has nothing to do with anybody living on the lower rung of the income. It only deals with people who are influ in influential positions. So if you're concerned about cancel culture, your interest might have been diverted from what actually affects you. But let's get into this young Pharaoh thing. Let's do it, Michael. Let's go. I don't know. He's like some pop culture guy or something. Young He's like some pop culture guy or something. The fact that you would even report on somebody without even knowing who they are or what they do, what kind of integrity is that? Like, do your research. You literally probably have a team of people to do the research for you. Have them do it. Why talk about a guy you have no idea what he does? Pharaoh has said some very offensive things about Jews yep. and other people. Yep. So what does CPAC do? They cancel him from their roster. Yep. Now CPAC is being called hypocrites because they're indulging in cancel culture. Yep. I don't think CPAC is being hypocritical at all. I he doesn't think they're being hypocritical or holding double standards because he's on that side. Like, remember all the times that people, that, that, that conservatives were complaining that you wouldn't allow them to speak on college campuses because of their bigoted views. But be, when, when, when they're forced to face somebody who holds bigoted views, they're like, wait a minute. We shouldn't allow him to speak. It might make us look bad. It is hypocritical. I think it is the shallowest, stupidest read of the term cancel culture to suggest that you can never have any standards at all. I think it is that that kind of a shallow interpretation that has allowed political correctness to advance for decades and decades. And actually, if you believe the argument of my book, it's been advancing for about a century. Are you going to make an argument for that? Or are you just going to say, uh, it, if I made the argument, that's what it, what it would be if I, if I had an argument to make? It, it, there is nothing conservative about removing all the guardrails. Think about it like a country. So conservatives aren't uh, free speech absolutists? Because I thought they were free speech absolutists. That included hate speech. I, I, I was almost positive that conservatives want a diversity of ideas are, are they afraid to discuss other ideas especially ones that sit inside of their ideology of conservatism that's weird this is incredibly double standard think about it just like a country a country needs borders that was that was what Merrick Garland finally acknowledged that Joe Biden thinks about. he says well look he believes that it's a country that has borders 
all countries have borders. And what borders mean is some people are in and some people are, are out. A certain area defines what the country is and things outside that area. That's not the country. The same. I don't think that applies to ideas. Like we draw borders so that we can have our trade and property rights. I don't think that makes any sense to a conservative party, which is just an acclamation of agreed upon what we should do, axioms and uh, ideas. Same thing is true in our philosophy. Do you, do you think if CPAC invited someone to speak, forget about, you know, anti-Jewish comments. Let's make it even more basic than that. Some guy gets invited to speak at CPAC. And then in between the time he gets invited and the time he speaks, he becomes a liberal Democrat. And he wants to give a speech on how great AOC is and how he can't wait to vote for Joe Biden's reelection or better yet, Kamala Harris. Do you think CPAC has an obligation, you know, in its opposition to cancel culture, an obligation to put that guy on stage? I don't think Michael Knowles did because I think like a couple episodes ago, I highlighted a speech that he had that if you have like one liberal belief to not call yourself a conservative. So like, obviously Michael Knowles thinks that if you step outside the box, you should no longer consider yourself part of the party. Um, but then like that still like muddles the whole idea of having a, like a variety of ideas to be at discussion here. So like when uh, inevitably, in, we get to a point where a conservative isn't allowed to speak somewhere because of their particular beliefs in marginalizing particular communities. Uh, how are they going to defend it when they have this discussion going on right now that they can ban people who don't fit inside their conservatism? It's, it's the same exact argument, but it's being displayed as if it's not. No, of course not. If anything, CPAC has an obligation to take that guy off the roster. They have an obligation to take him off because he has differing beliefs. That's, that's the argument that we've been having for, for the longest time. And you guys said, no, they have differing beliefs. So they should be heard because this is the conservative political action conference and conservatism stands for something. We're debating what that stands for. No, you're not like, no, you're not because you literally said that if you have one liberal thing, you should not consider yourself to be a conservative. You have a very rigid outline to what a conservative is, Michael. You, you, you laid that out in the last uh, turning point convention, whatever the fuck that was. No, you don't. You don't allow diversity of thought in the conservative party. That's pretty obvious at this point. But, but we... We absolutely must define it. And actually the unwillingness, the cowardly unwillingness to define what conservatives stand for is what has made us lose many, many, many times over the past several decades. No, you guys have been losing because everybody does know what conservatives are and conservatives don't, uh, what is it, uh, represent the broader population. It's a very minority amount of population that you guys uh, represent. And that's why you lose elections because you don't represent the popularity. That's that's exactly why. So thanks, Michael Knowles, for that completely blind, ignorant, double standard uh, defense. Now we have Tucker Carlson. Of course we do. Look at that face. Look at it. Look at his. I'm about to tell you what I think face his 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 just malaise of I got uh, makeup done by poor people face. This is let's get it. Let's go. Let's hear from uh, Trust Fund. I don't have to work a day in my life. Tucker Carlson on why the class system is in trouble in America. So sometimes it's hard to see the outlines because we're right in the middle of it, but America really is in the middle of a profound social upheaval. Nothing is the same as it was a year ago. That's not your imagination, it's really happening. What we're seeing is an actual history-changing revolution in, face, in place of Robespierre's famous liberty, equality, fraternity, our HR departments have produced their own three-word revolutionary slogan, diversity, equity, inclusion. Now, this is different from what's happened in other countries. Unlike the revolutions in most places, in America, the working class is not the hero of this story. Our working class is the villain. This what? is not a proletarian revolution. It's a revolution from above. It's aimed straight downward. And you can tell- That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. You can't have a revolution come from the top. They, they run everything. That's, that's a fake revolution, Tucker. That's- that's faux. That's 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 completely fake. Like it's so contradictory in 40 seconds. How does anybody take this seriously? He already broke the law of non-contradictions. If you have a revolution coming down from the top, that isn't a revolution. That's tyranny. That's the opposite. Hell, by who's running it? College professors write the radical literature. 
politicians put their words into practice. The biggest companies in the world pay for all of it. I, I am genuinely curious to see a politician actually follow like uh, Professor Richard Wolf. I don't think any of them actually take in most academia at all. I think most of policy is, uh, you know, formed and functioned on the special interests and in big corporations. I don't think academics have much to do with it at all. They do produce papers and studies and advocate for these positions to the politicians. But have I seen a single politician actually follow through in that with legislation? No. Absolutely not. So maybe not surprisingly, for all their revolutionary fervor, the groups pushing this revolution leave their own power untouched. When you hear people talk about dismantling systems of oppression, they're not talking about themselves. They're talking about you. This and that's a misrepresentation of like a lot of far left movements, because uh, in a lot of far left movements, especially during the uprising in Portland, the hundred days of them fighting against their local police and federal agents, um, there was a big press to kill the cop inside of your head. Um, so there was a level of realize how your own biases can lead to the oppression of either yourself or the others that you are supposedly fighting against and kill that cop inside your head. So the, the, I'm not surprised that Tucker Carlson isn't aware of that because it's um, very localized and you would have to be extremely far left to actually hear kill the cop in your head. This is a revolution expressly designed to empower the already powerful. Also, you can Google it, and there's a there's a wonderful uh, essay, I think, on the Anarchist Library specifically about killing the cop in your head. So follow follow through on that. And it's been that way since the first day, since this summer, when George Floyd died in Minneapolis. Now, the first and most obvious question we might have asked at the time, and no one ever asked this, but it's clear: Why was a 46 year old man reduced to passing badly counterfeited twenty dollar bills in a convenience store in the middle of the day? George Floyd was unemployed. Why was he unemployed? How many other people like George Floyd are unemployed and why? Now, that would have been an interesting conversation. It might have been a fruitful conversation for all of us, but we didn't. Yeah, I mean, talking about the systemic issues that lead to millions of people unemployed is a good conversation to have. Unfortunately, George Floyd was killed by the police, so that wasn't the driving force of the conversation whatsoever. Um, if if he had lived that day and we had later found out whether or not that $20 bill was actually counterfeit, then maybe that's where the discussion would go. Certainly not on Fox News. Fox News doesn't give two fucks about people on unemployment. We didn't have it and we didn't have it by design. Instead, we learned a lot about the racial composition of the Minneapolis Police Department. Yeah, we were told the police there won't quote diverse enough. And that was a because, yeah, that that's yeah, that's where the conversation goes when uh, a, a, an unarmed individual is killed by the cops is that you then have to wonder, is the is the police force um, like the, the people who make up the police force, the officers, are they actually representative of the community? And so then we even had a broader discussion in the nation is like, why do, why do we have all these cops who don't live in these communities working in police stations in these communities? National emergency. Months later, BLM mobs destroyed the city of Kenosha, Wisconsin. And once again, we were informed that the main problem was a lack of diversity among Kenosha's low paid cops. Quote, overall, the local Kenosha newspaper announced with what sounded like genuine alarm, the city's police force is 89% white, while the city's population is about 67% white. Okay, Kenosha, too many white hourly workers makes your city burn. That's the message. I mean, having cops low paid does uh, make their job a little bit more stressful. But again, you do have to wonder if you have a peacekeeping force in your community and they're not invested or a part of your community, why have it? And as a result of that message, everything changed. But actually, not everything changed. I like how he has the opportunity to like actually expand on these arguments, but they're only like little talking points to get him to the actual thing that he wants to talk about. So genuinely, he does not care about these issues. He's only pointing them out as if he actually wants to have these discussions. He doesn't, because then we would have the, that discussion right now. In fact, many things stayed precisely the same. Patterns of residential segregation, for example, they didn't change, they accelerated. Barack Obama's neighborhoods in Washington, Hawaii, and Martha's Vineyard are probably less, quote, diverse than they were a year ago. And that won't change soon because too many people who have a lot of money live there. Yeah, so uh, that's actually a show that our, like, our wealth, like who has wealth is segregated. Um, 
yeah, so that's it's a broader problem, Tucker. Are we going to talk about the broader problem that leads to more white people having more wealth than most minorities, except for the Asians? The Asians are the Asian community is actually the wealthiest uh, community in the nation, but that also comes from like intergenerational wealth as well, and a lot of historical context that led them into that position. But let's let's skip that talk. Let's skip it. Fuck it. We don't need it. But most striking of all, now that we're discussing things that haven't changed at all, have been the universities. Mm -hmm. The overwhelming majority of the ideas behind this revolution come from college campuses. Everything you hear about white privilege and systemic racism began as a lecture about deconstruction in some classroom in the 1990s. And that's why so many BLM activists talk like sociology professors. But most of the actual changes on college... Because you can't talk about sociology without understanding it. Like, you... You, you need to quote data and you need to quote theory. And if you're going to put it into practice, you have to be well informed on these things. Like you can't. Are, are you serious? Are you serious that you, you think people can participate in mass movements of political structure without education? Seriously? College campuses have been superficial. Yes, the coursework is very different. Yale no longer even pretends to teach its students anything. It just indoctrinates them. Which is funny because Tucker Carlson came from a, a college. He went to like the second oldest college in Connecticut. Uh, trust fund Tucker, here we go again. But here's what hasn't changed at all. And this is the key to everything. What hasn't changed at all is the kind of people who go to Yale in the first place. They're rich kids from rich families who plan on staying rich. And again, that's a broader like that's a broader problem with our system is that there's a paywall behind higher education. God, dude, my brain already, and we're three minutes in. Not speculation. Here are the numbers. Before COVID, the median family income in the United States was about 65 grand a year. At Yale, it's three times that. The median family income of a Yale University student is 192,000 a year. That's the median. At the University of Pennsylvania, it's about 196,000 a year. At Brown University in Providence, it's 204,000. These are all Ivy League schools with multi-billion dollar endowments, endowments heavily subsidized by you through your tax dollars. So they could afford to educate poor kids, they just choose not to. At Princeton... Yeah, but that's also because they're private and they're for-profit. So, like, again, this is a broader system, system, uh, systemic problem that angering the masses about isn't really going to fix anything, Tucker. Like, you really need to focus in on the people who perpetuate this system in order to hold them accountable so that maybe then low-income families can start getting higher educations and benefiting their family and using that upward mobility that is supposedly a part of the American dream. 72% of students come from families in the top 20% nationally for household income. Nobody seems to have any plans to change any of this. Diversity is for wage earners, not for the people in charge. No one's trying to diversify prestigious campuses because in real life, let's be honest, the lack of diversity is the real reason that people go there in the first place. Isn't Tucker Carlson the one who argued against like minority scholarships because it's racist? Because like to to give a a a a, a, a black kid a uh, a scholarship to go to one of these universities blocks out like a more capable white kid. Is, isn't that a like a, an argument that I've heard from Tucker Carlson? Because I'm pretty sure it is. So even if there is opportunities for low income. Uh, 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 minorities to get into these schools it's somehow racist because it blocks more capable white kids who earn those gpas to get in there as well no one applies to yale in order to learn things that's not the point the point of going to yale is to cement your position as a credentialed member of america's ruling class that's the same and tucker understands that completely that going to these universities is more about your social status than anything actual like material uh usefulness like he went to trinity college when he didn't even really need to he was a trust fund baby he, he even said that he doesn't need to work a day in his life so obviously he did that for the status singular purpose of the experience the only purpose more than any other standard more than any award in american society an ivy league degree increases the chance that those who hold it in the end, we'll be giving the orders, not taking the orders. That effect True. is real, and it lasts for generations. True. When you go to Yale, your grandkids probably won't have to work construction. So the question is, why should this arrangement continue? And that's a serious question, especially now. 
if you're going to dismantle systemic power, and we've decided we are going to, you probably shouldn't start with unionized cops in Kenosha. You probably should start with systems that wield actual power. Uh, cop unions in Kenosha, like police unions do have a lot of power and they're part of the problem, especially with the thing that we're talking about. Um, targeting Yale students to affect police unions like these things they're they're not interconnected in a lot of ways like maybe um because a lot of like university students become district attorneys or politicians but like police unions are on their own level of um uh operation that you have to focus in on like is, is it really providing any good for the community or is it only protecting cops um so no you shouldn't take your eye off of police unions to look at Yale students because Yale students aren't the leads of police unions. America really does have a class system. They're absolutely right about that. That system is getting more rigid by the day and we should probably do something about it pretty soon or the next revolution might not be as peaceful as this one. I mean, Tucker Carlson could start by like not feeding misinformation that defends big corporations. He could probably start there if he wanted to do something about it. So here's an idea. He works Beginning for Rupert Murdoch. The top-ranked 50 colleges and universities in America should be prohibited by force of law, if necessary, from accepting students whose parents or grandparents went to college. No more rich kids. Harvard should be reserved exclusively for students who've never experienced the many advantages of living in a ruling class. No, no, no. That's not what should happen at all. We should just make colleges free. How does excluding rich people gonna make it better for anybody? Like, yeah, that if 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 we eliminate the paywall so that low-income families can go to school, you don't have to block a bunch of other kids to do it. Like that, that it's behind a paywall that that doesn't allow people to go into those schools. And then also like the the whole social status is woven into it too. Like you have to have the right connections to get inside certain schools. There were families that got in trouble because they paid for their kids to go into these schools, like specifically because they're for profit. So why would you suggest to do something that is that outrageous to fix the problem unless you don't actually want to fix the problem? If you're for diversity, equity, and inclusion, there is no faster way to achieve it than this. That's not it. Uh, uh, making school like higher education free is much, much better in doing that. So what would happen to Harvard if we did this? Well, it wouldn't be hard for Harvard or any top school to find new students. Millions of college-age kids are itching for the opportunity, and we know who they are. For example, you have to eliminate the profit motive if you're going to start benefiting people that if you're yeah if you're going to make meaningful change you can't expect profit well the biden administration has just announced plans to give amnesty and citizenship to an estimated 30 million foreign nationals now living in the united states illegally now as of right now you should know this there is no plan to elevate any of these new americans into our middle class no the plan is to keep them in serfdom at the bottom of the economic ladder someone needs to trim our trees and toss our kale salads that's the view of Democratic donors, and they get their way always. But why should the rest of us accept their plan designed only to benefit them? It's so obviously unfair. Why shouldn't the children of impoverished illegal aliens go to Duke, Cornell, Stanford, Williams, Amherst, Princeton? Why shouldn't they occupy every single bed on every single one of those campuses? But wait a second, you ask, says the Democratic donor, if the Honduran immigrants get into Colombia, who's going to work at the chicken plants? Oh, good question. We nominate the children of New York Times editors. Now, New York Times editors might not like this arrangement. For it's so weird. Like, if, if immigrants started going to school, that means less people could start going to school. This is such a weird argument because, I mean, we're moving towards automation, basically taking over every manufacturing job in any, like, actual, like, uh, what, 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 what could we call it? Like, uh, a job that uses hands. Like, automation is coming hard and fast. And to make this argument that if we let some people go to school, that we have to stop letting others go to school is a ridiculous argument on top of the fact that kids have been overpaying for these college educations and doing it from home like the zoom classes so like having a higher education coming straight from your fucking laptop is not even an excuse anymore everybody could go to school tucker everybody but the reason that we don't is because if everybody started getting doctor's degrees then doctors would get paid less and again it feeds into the whole meritocracy of making a profit so what are we doing? Are we trying to benefit ourselves or are we trying to in 
earn profits? What is the end goal here? Very much. They may incite revolution at work, but at the same time, they are fanatically intent on sending their own kids to Yale, and they will do absolutely anything to get them into Yale. They definitely don't want their kids working at chicken plants. They want them working at McKinsey. But the problem is, in a revolutionary moment like this, you can't always get what you want, especially when you're as committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion as your average New York Times editor claims to be. In order to make omelets in this world, you've got to break some eggs. So here's our advice to the members of the woke professional class at the Times and elsewhere who are about to discover that their own rules might actually apply to themselves. Here's our advice. Stop complaining. That is fucking hilarious that like that they, they, they would make these rules that would apply to themselves. How do you get to a more equitable situation if the people who make the rules are also accountable to them? Tucker, are you saying that people are supposed to be outside of the of, of the law because they make the rules? That is. Mm. Wow. Like, how, how do you play off being a populist while at the same time being an elitist? Like, how do you get away with this without having like a viewership that is truly ignorant of your background and where you're coming from? When you discover that your own children's life plans have been thwarted due to some new imperative of social justice, don't say a word. Don't whine or moan or file a lawsuit. Don't even acknowledge it's happening. Just accept it. It's not like you can pretend you didn't know the meritocracy was fake. You single-handedly destroyed it yourselves. For years, you thought you had an exemption to the rules that you made. You imagined that challenging power applied only to other people's families. Sorry, the revolution has finally come for you. You No, it hasn't. There's no revolution going on, and he hasn't even highlighted the fact of the revolution. He's just highlighting the fact that it's dumb for rich people to support marginalized people because then they have to make sacrifices against their wealth. And honestly, that's a very selfless position to take, to sacrifice your individualism for the rights of others, which apparently is something that we're bashing people for at this point, Tucker? Really? That's, that's the angle you're going for here? Who pictured your kids graduating from the local Like, I honestly wish there was more self-aware billionaires. Honestly, I really do. ...in school and moving on to Cornell to immerse themselves in gender studies and international relations. Oh, but not anymore. It's a new era. Again, an era that you designed. Now your kids will be taking the bus to a poultry processing facility in rural Iowa. Again, that makes no sense because one immigrant child goes to school, that means one rich kid can't? No, that's not... Again... <clears throat> Oh, I'm gonna bang my head against the wall. This is this is nonsensical through lines and uh, incoherent argument completely. Begin their new lives serving the critical culinary needs of the people they replace, the ones now going to Cornell. Like they they even have sh like automated chefs coming out. Like eventually, like most of this like labor that nobody wants to do for these shitty wages is gonna be done for free with a low maintenance cost on or cost on robots. So like we're gonna have to figure out how we're going to upward mobile uh, mobilize all of these people who are in the lower income doing this work. Tucker Carlson has workers and servants. He even said that he wishes Rupert Murdoch would cane him in the same way or would cane him like he canes his workers and servants. So, oh my god, someone who has such contempt for the working class and seems to be coming from their position is just the epitome of a disgusting ghoul. He is a very gross ghoul. He's, he's the worst kind of bridge tr troll, the worst. And maybe someday, if they're lucky, your kids can learn to code. But no matter what happens to them over the next several generations, don't fret. And once again, above all, don't complain. Complaining is racist. Diversity is our strength. We're a nation of immigrants. That's the main... If you complain about diversity, then yeah, you, you, you're a racist. I don't know where he came up with this from, if like complaining in general is racism. Complaining about diversity, which I'm pretty sure Tucker Carlson also had a segment on that about how multiculturalism hurts America. That's racist an idea of America, which as you have often told us, is simply an idea, not a nation. Now, all of this might be hard for you to see right now. It's <laughs> painful and we get it. Because it's happening to you, it might even seem unjust. Trust us, it's not unjust. It's the definition of justice. Oh my God, that was like the most 1984 reporting I've ever seen Tucker Carlson pull off. That was so Orwellian. 
Oh, wow. All right. Well, um, moving on from that nonsensical, incoherent rant into a interview that CNN, for some reason, decided to do. They brought on Enrique in, uh, Tario to talk on CNN about the Proud Boys. For some reason, they were like, you know what? Nobody knows who the Proud Boys are. Let's get them familiar. U.S. TV interview since the Capitol insurrection, the leader of the Proud Boys makes a stunning revelation about his involvement with Roger Stone. He also tells CNN's Sarah Seidner that he has no sympathy for members of Congress who feared for their lives that day. Yeah, no shit. I'm not going to cry about a group of people that don't give a crap about their constituents. I'm not going to... I'm not going to sympathize with them. The leader of the Proud Boys is talking about the members of Congress who feared for their lives on January 6th. Everybody stay down! As a mob attacks the Capitol. They shouldn't have reached the Capitol with violence. He says that now. Yeah, are you kidding me? Like, the Proud Boys were so excited about that day. Like, and I'm sure they got to you know, put out like little pamphlets and uh, talk to people and be like, well, if you're really upset about this, then you should consider joining the Proud Boys because in Proud Boys, you'll be a male chauvinist. Hmm. Day after the violent breach, Enrique Tario posted this, a picture on social media of members of Congress trying to hide as the attackers began their siege. You write, when the people fear the government, there is tyranny. When the government fears the people, there is liberty. Yes. Doesn't that show that you are celebrating terrorizing people? I was celebrating, and I'll tell you, I'll celebrate the moment that the government does fear the people. Um, at that point, again, and I, I didn't have all the information that came in, why they were cowering or anything like that. Do you but wish I that, think, you, that you didn't do that now that you know no, what I happened? No, I don't. I'll, I'll, one, another thing is I'll never regret something uh, that I said. They are doing the job that the people put them there to do. Look, I don't, I don't agree with everything. It certainly don't agree with everything Enrique will say or has said or does. But um, I do think there is a much more significant power when the government fears its people rather than the other way around. That's definitely how things should work in, in, in the idea that the government feels that there's accountability waiting around the corner. Um, I don't think that like a bunch of angry people storming the Capitol singing, saying how, the, how we should hang our representatives is a good way to put the fear in them. But uh, that's unfortunately the, the route that these uh, right wingers took. And if they don't like it, they can vote them out. They are still Americans. They are still human beings who felt that their lives were in danger. How can you not feel any sympathy or any empathy towards someone like that? I'm not going to worry about people that their only worry in life is to be reelected. We got a whole boatload of proud boys walking through here, folks. Tario was not there on January 6th. He was arrested in D.C. two days before for yeah. burning a Black Lives Matter flag stolen from a church and having empty weapons magazines that are illegal in D.C. You're walking with the Proud Boys to the state capitol. But a group of Proud Boys was there. The far-right group is known across the country for brawling with members of Antifa. And also Trump being on, you know, the debate stage and saying, Proud Boys, stand back and stand by. That, that also gave them a lot of attention left-wing anti-fascist movement. They are also known for throwing their support behind Donald Trump, whose words to them in a yep, September presidential debate exploded their popularity. Stand back and stand by. I think we've doubled in numbers since the debate. Tario has... See, and even uh, Enrique there just admitted that the power that a president can have on a uh, movement like theirs is that when he said that, they doubled in size. And so we allowed a president that encouraged right-wing militias, like straight up, straight up. Republican Party, this is you now. This is you. This is you whether you like it or not. Marjorie Green Taylor, militia ties. Tom Cotton, Matt Gates, militia ties. Laura Boebert, militia ties. How many more are there? You gotta wonder. Close ties with one of Trump's longest-serving advisors and friends, Roger Stone. Stone was in D.C. on January. Yes, Roger Stone uses Proud Boys as a personal security guard, which is, uh, I, you know, I don't even have to put anything on that. It's just hilarious. It's hilarious. January 6th, as people rallied against the election results that showed Trump lost, Stone did not march to the Capitol and wasn't charged with a crime. Instead, Stone was seen with members of extremist groups like the Oath Keepers, and Proud Boys, who have now become go. a central focus of law enforcement in the Capitol attack investigation. 
I'm just buffering the the quality here because Tario had such a close relationship with Roger Stone. He revealed this. You have access to Roger Stone's phone. Yeah, they 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 keep in constant communication. This is this has been well known from people who actually keep their eyes on the Proud Boys more than just when CNN highlights them. Yeah, they like he they they are in close coordination. For a couple a couple times when I went to go see him, you know, I'd help him with like his social media posts and things like that. Tario's access to that phone. They've been talking to each other for years. Landed him in front of a federal grand jury, a detail not revealed until now. At the time, Stone was facing seven charges in the Russia probe, including lying to Congress and witness tampering. Trump pardoned him after he was convicted on all seven charges. Yep. During his trial, Stone was accused of threatening the judge in the case with a social media post, an image of the judge, and what appeared to be a target behind her head. I actually I testified in front of the grand jury. Um, and like after that, Roger Stone got a gag order because he has ties to Oath Keepers and uh, Proud Boys. So when you put up a uh, elected official's face like that, not even elected, but I guess a public figure's face like that, it, it, in a lot of ways, it's it's it is putting a target on their back when you have a militant movement that likes you. But no, uh, there was no. That picture was brought up on a Google search. Right. So you used to be able to search, um, not now, obviously, because wait, wait, so wait, much back has up, happened. Back up, back up. I just heard they just said it in what you said. Did you just say you were on a grand jury panel? Uh, you did. I did. It's too late <laughs> to take it back now. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, that's the story. It's not a secret. That's the story that came out that, um, you know, that uh, they wanted to see if who who was it that posted it at that point. The actual crosshairs isn't really a crosshair. It's a, it's the logo of the the organization that wrote the article. So it was just like a graphic, and then that was posted. I have no idea who who actually posted it, but I know that uh, I had nothing to do with it. Stone is one of the architects of the Stop the Steal rallying cry, but Tario does not buy into the lie that the election was stolen. He says he just wants more transparency. Do you believe that the 2020 presidential election was stolen from Donald Trump? No, I don't. I, I, I don't believe that the election was stolen. And yet, he encouraged his Proud Boys to show up on January 6th in record numbers. Here's all the Proud Boys, guys. A group of them did show up. Here they are, marching together towards the Capitol. At least eight Proud Boys target. And it's very funny because I think that they were uh, banned from uh dc during that time so they couldn't dress up in all of their colors and that such so they had to go like completely incognito because they weren't supposed to be there Yo knows have been charged in the capital siege this is one of them using a police officer's shield to bust out a window in the capitol allowing people to flood in i condemn the actions i i, I don't think that he should have done that i think it was completely wrong but the other seven individuals were trespassing I think that they got caught up with the entire with like the entire crowd and they made they made a poor decision to go in there. Members of the Proud Boys didn't appear to just be getting caught up in the I really think that it's funny that we're missing here that although he doesn't support the idea that the election was stolen from Trump, they still use the narrative to go there and protest and angrily uh say that Trump should remain president. So even if he thinks that most of this was built on a lie, he's willing to use that lie. So that's uh, wonderful. This is good. This is good stuff. Some of stuff. them were leading this attack. You had people removing barriers who were Proud Boys. You had someone threatening an officer, uh, breaking the Capitol window. Um, they weren't just following in this insurrection. It appears that some of them were leading the charge. Now, those, those three accusations, I, yeah. I, I do want to touch on those. The breaking of the window, we've, we've already hit. The threatening... You think that's wrong? Yeah, definitely. Um, Inequivocally, I think that's wrong. But mm -hmm. the threatening of police officers, I didn't, I didn't see that. Um, the feds have. They have video of William Cressman yelling, "You shoot, and I'll take your f ass out." As of, I mean, it came out shortly after too, because I can't remember what city it happened in specifically. But the Proud Boys were doing a counter protest against uh, BLM, and uh, the the cops uh, stood in between both sides. And when the Proud Boys started getting too aggressive, the cops actually started cracking down on them, which was a surprise to me because that's not usually what happens, especially in the northwest sector of 
America. Um, but yeah, they, 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 they don't fuck with the cops anymore. They don't. Right now, yeah. I can't tell you about Cressman because I can't locate who, who he's affiliated with. Like, if he's even a proud boy. Crestman's defense attorney said he was just following Trump's orders that day. Matario says some of his proud boys who did breach the Capitol are unfairly being charged with conspiracy. Did the proud boys have a plan to go into the Capitol? Into the Capitol. Absolutely not. Tario put some of the blame for what happened on January 6th on police for being unprepared to thwart the mob. Oh, we're tearing it down. And he claims some of the Proud Boys simply walked in to record history. There's nobody that told him that stopped him from going in. You feel like it's something that's wrong that you shouldn't do? But are you blaming the police for telling people not to break the law? No, I'm not blaming the cops at all. So what do you no, say? Uh, no, I can blame I can blame the police officers and the feds for their their inability to respond to this. So <laughs> was it a mistake to even go into the Capitol? Was it? Yes. Do you condemn those people? Can you say that right now? Okay, I can't say that. Because I think Why condemn not? is a, a very strong word, and I think it's a little bit too strong. He thinks the FBI is trying to make an example of the Proud Boys. But Tario also has a history with the FBI after being sentenced to federal prison <laughs> yes, for does. fraud in 2012. Yes, he does. Were you ever an informant for the FBI? I was... I mean, he can't deny <clears> it. To put it simply, um, I was put in a very tough situation where the federal government um, had wanted me to testify against my brothers. He said he refused. And instead, his defense attorney said Tario cooperated with the FBI and other law enforcement on many cases, one involving prescription drugs, another a marijuana raid, an illegal gambling bust, and more. But Tario would only admit to cooperating on one case. The only thing that I actually gave uh, them was the human trafficking ring. And again, I'm not going to apologize <laughs> for it. Of course he focuses on that one because then he looks like the angel. He looks like the angel because like QAnon, Proud Boys, Save the Children, they're all mingling together. They're all in bed. They fucking hard. So that's that's amazing. Of course he's only going to admit to that when of course public record has him uh, helping the FBI more than that. Um, and you have to wonder too, because back in the day, even a lot of uh, like gangsters during the Great Depression were also working for the FBI. I think Al Capone was one of them. And it that's what made um, their arrest so difficult, at least in a local level. Um, because once you're an FBI informant, local police have a very hard time actually convicting you of things because the FBI needs you to be um, active in your reporting. And then once they're done with you, they'll, they'll, they'll find the charges. But, um, it's very interesting to me that of course he only highlights the, uh, human trafficking thing because that's, he, he, he's playing in, he's playing into his boys, all of them from QAnon to proud boys, all of them. What is next for the proud boys and the country? Tario has already made a plan. I think right now is the time to, uh, Go ahead and and overthrow the government by becoming the new government and running for office. Wow. Wow. So I don't think that they can charge him with Insurrection Act without like a, uh, a full-blown conspiracy. But he, uh, wow, he literally just said that he's going to overthrow the government by running for office, which again, no. That's not really how you build a new government, but um, I guess that's probably the safest way, especially if you're going to use plausible deniability of the idea that you're an insurrectionist or an insurgent. So, wow, Enrique, and fuck CNN for having him on. That is uh, incredibly irresponsible. I can see them trying to be uh, in, in, you know, journalists with integrity and you know, questioning him on his positions, but they gave him a massive platform, a huge one, one that will circulate for a minute in a lot of these internet um you know blogospheres so that's that is incredibly irresponsible cnn um that that, that is incredibly irresponsible um yeah that's that, that's all i got they should not have had enrique in his own words oh my gosh sarah just stellar so reporting as always that gives us such a window 
into this world that we wouldn't otherwise have. So just help us understand that logic. He hates the establishment, I assume, hates the government, but is going to run yes. for office to be in it. That's that's basically it. You've, you've got it in a nutshell, Allison. Um, he is himself considering a run seriously. Uh, he did so, by the way, in 2020, but said that because uh, he was dropped by sort of online companies that take in um, money for donations, uh, partly because of, uh, of some of the things that he said, He's a uh, that he was unable to do <laughs> large fundraising, for example. But he is seriously considering running for office. Um, and it just sort of goes to show you, you know, he has a very, very strong opinion about those. Oh, my God. The fact that CNN would interview him, too, and not highlight the fact that the Proud Boys group is a neo-fascist uh, street brawling group that they just gave a platform to. Amazing. Amazing. This system and the media and all of America is not broken. There's nothing broken about giving a neo-fascist a platform. There's, oh, my God. God. Those who are already serving and wants to replace them, but you, the wording that he uses um, is is really um, it sounds violent, right? Overthrow the government by by becoming the government, and once you become the government, you also are really responsible for helping the country grow, not breaking it down. So it would be very, very interesting to see where he goes from here um, and interesting to see uh, his, his platform. But he believes that if he runs, as many politicians would, that he will win. Allison. Look, there's a QAnon follower who was elected to Congress, so anything's possible. Um, Sarah, thank you very much. That was really interesting to see your conversation with him. I I feel like CNN is completely unaware of actual fascists. I, I, I actually just might have been convinced by that. Wow. Wow. I'm stunned. I'm actually in awe. Whew. We got a little bit left, and I guess CPAC is going underway. I am... Wow. We're we're actually we're we're going to give uh fascist platforms before they give power. Cool. Yeah, this is great. This is the rapid fire episode. So Expelled CPAC, from the United States Senate. Well, as I said a moment ago, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying right here. This is this is live I'm gonna stand up right for you for CPAC. CPAC is live right now, and this is Senator Josh Hawley of Montana. Because if we can't have free and open debate in this country, we're not going to have a country left. If we can't have free and open debate according to the laws in the United States Senate, what good is the United States Senate? Why do you send anybody to Washington at all? I thought it was an important stand to take. And for that, the left has come after me. They've tried to silence me. They've canceled a book. The book I was writing called The Tyranny of Big Tech. These people have no sense of irony. It's still going to get published, by the way. It'll be out soon. Not long to wait. They did all of that. It didn't work. But listen, that's, that's just, that's just a, a slice of what they've done. A lot of people have had it a lot worse. I mean, they've made lists of Trump voters. You know this. You can find online. List of Trump voters so they could go and try to punish them. One outfit in Washington is keeping a list of everybody who ever worked for Donald Trump, including... It's important to know who worked for Donald Trump. I am completely unaware of this supposed list of Trump voters. That's, uh, that's new to me, but I guess, you know, I guess that exists now because he said it. Line. She does a, a consulting on how to get babies to sleep. Now listen, before you say, what do we care about that? I've got three little kids at home, <laughs> including a newborn. My baby Abigail, my wife and I welcomed her on November the 9th, so she's just over three months old. Thank you. So we're really interested in sleep. I can tell you, the Holly household, we care about sleep. My wife knew of this gal, Kara Demoplin, who had a, a, an Instagram online thing where she counseled people on how to, how to get their babies to sleep. It was great. She had like four million followers. What happened? She supported Donald Trump. So what did they do? They came after her. They came after her, tried to shut down her accounts, tried to run her out of business. I just heard this morning, just this morning, that a, a Christian worship leader at a church in this country 
who has albums, worship albums he put out. He just got a call this morning from his corporate distributor, and they told him they're not going to distribute his next album. What was his sin? He supported Donald Trump in the election. This is what corporate America and the radical left is doing. This is what they're doing left, right, and center. And they're going to keep on doing it unless we do something about it. Now, the real question is, how do we get... You could stop supporting fascists. Oligarchs, these massive corporations in hock with the left, can do what they're doing. And you know the answer to that. The answer is, is that the policy experts in Washington, D.C., and the elected officials there for decades on end have let them do it. They have given them the power. How did big tech get so big? Washington gave away the store. That's how they got so big. Washington subsidized Google and Facebook. Washington subsidized Twitter. And what are these companies, these other mega corporations, these multinational companies, what have they done to repay the favor? No, oh, you know, they've shipped our jobs to China. They paid our workers poverty wages. They have violated all of the principles that we hold dear. That's what they've done. That's what these companies, that's what they live to do. And the left is just fine with it. Because the left and these companies together, these oligarchs, they can impose their agenda on the rest of us. And that's exactly what they're trying to do. So what are we going to do about it? I mean, that's the real question, isn't it? In this moment, in this moment of crisis, our country needs us to take a stand. My favorite thing is that like conservatives, their crisis is that like nobody's listening to them or or they're they're being judged for their uh shitty uh policy um rather than like the actual crises that are facing working class americans his, his crises is that conservatives aren't getting their point across um and it does absolutely nothing to benefit working class individuals give the people america back give it back to them give it back to you no more ruled by oligarchs, ruled by the people. That's what we've got to do. And I can tell you how I would start. I would start by breaking up the big tech corporations. I like how breaking up big tech is going to do anything while big oil, big pharma, uh, big military, they all just keep doing the same shit. But if we target big tech, we can come off as if we actually care about non-rich people. Break those corporations up and, and cut them down to size. You know what? The Republican Party, once upon a time, we were the party of trust busters. You know what? I mean, we invented the concept, basically. It's time to reclaim that legacy. It's time to reclaim that legacy. And not just for big tech, but for all of the huge multinational corporations that have sold us out to China, that have sold out our workers, that have sold out our jobs. They need to be broken up. And we... I like how he's pretending that Republicans have had, like, literally nothing to do with outsourcing when uh, they did. Like, it's, it's very part of uh, Reagan economics. You know, shouts out Reagan. We've got to stand up to China and not allow them to continue to push us over, to take our jobs, to cheat on trade. We've got to put American workers first, not illegal immigrants. Can I just say, by the way... Nice. See, and that's like the exact conservative through line is that we need to focus on working class individuals and it's immigrants' fault. Not the rich who benefit off of working class being working class. The immigrants who are also working class. It's their fault. You're backwards. Can I just say, can I just try to enlighten our liberal friends for a second? We believe in borders because we believe in citizenship. And we believe in citizenship because we believe in America. <laughs> citizenship, you know, where I come from in Missouri, I grew up in rural Missouri, a small town right in the middle of Missouri. It's a working class town full of good folks working hard to make it every day. And I can just tell you where I grew up, we believe in citizenship because we're proud of it. We're proud to be Americans. And when you come to America, you join a family. And in this family, we stick up for one another. We protect <laughs> one another. We believe in one another. That's what citizenship means. That's why it's worth protecting. That's why we need a border. That's why we have to close off our citizenship because we can't support that much of the community. <laughs> And we've got to resist the attempts of the oligarchs to divide us. You know, they will only succeed at the end of the day. They will only succeed if we do nothing and if we allow ourselves to be divided. You can see what their strategy is. I mean, we saw it this whole last year. We heard endlessly from corporate media, from big tech, from the left, how terrible our country is. We heard that we are systemically racist. You heard that once or twice. 
We heard that the real founding of the country wasn't in 1776, it was in 1619 or whatever. You know, we heard that America is founded in lies and, and evil. I mean, that was, that's what we've been told. All of that is false. All of that is a lie. Oh, I'm sorry, I said Montana too. He's from Missouri, my bad. America is not a perfect place, but it's a good place. More than that, it's a great place. It's the greatest nation in the history of the world. And that's why we should ignore all the flaws. And anybody who says that there's flaws, they just hate us. All right, that's how imperfect we are. Media and the liberals is reclaiming our history and saying it is good and we are proud to be Americans. We're proud to have come in, to have lived in a country that started with nothing and became the greatest country in the face of Hey guys, remember when Josh Hawley just five seconds ago was saying how we need to fight against oligarchs? Well, just thank God for OpenSecrets.org because we have exactly who contributes to Josh Hawley's campaigns. We got Jones Financial Companies, nice. We got Diamond Pet Foods, nice. Hunter Engineering, nice. Uh, Orshelm Group, nice. Hallmark, nice. Bayer, Big Pharma, nice. Uh, Bodley Group, nice. Sepia, no idea what that is. Uh, Clausen Farms, nice, agriculture. Uh, Charles Schwab Corp, nice, Schwab, sorry, not Schwab. Uh, Ozarks Coca-Cola Bottling, nice. Uh, Russell Stover Candles, no, Candies, sorry, nice. TLC Properties, nice. Um, let's see, Cohen Killing, uh, Klingstein, wait, Klingstein? Klingenstein and Marx, uh, another hedge fund, nice. Uh, USAA, nice. Uh, Washington University in St. Louis, nice. Oh shit, AT&T, one of those big techs, nice. Nice, man, I love who you're taking contributions from because there's just so many nonprofit organizations and unions here that you really show that you stand up for Hallmark cards. Jesus, like, come on. Come on, like, it's so funny that they will always argue, we need to stand up to big money. And then you can go to a website to see that they're specifically paid by big money. Years of his own that he knew, a trying time before the beginning of the Civil War, he used to end his speeches in the United States Senate by saying, union now, union forever. What he meant was is that for those who said that America's time had passed, that the country was hopelessly divided, that it was irredeemable, sound familiar? He said, no. Union now, union forever. I just want to say, my friends, America now, America first, America forever. God bless you. It's great to be with you. Take care. Thank you so much. All right. You want to know what, what the real problem with our class system in America is? It's that Republicans are frauds. Thank you for joining me on Tox News. Uh, this has been the rapid fire episode where I just shoot through a bunch of just malarkey, tons of malarkey. Um, there's a YouTube channel. Um, you probably won't be able to find it because Fox News comes up all the time. So uh, hit up the Twitter page and you can get a link to it there at ToxinPod, T-O-X-N-P-O-D. And um, yeah, if I knew how to plug better, I would. And that's, that's, that, that's the episode. Um, uh, don't support conservatives. Support a local mutual aid and direct action uh, organization that you have near you and uh, tell Republicans to fuck off with their fake populism and care for the uh, working class. That's it. That's, 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 the, that's the essential message here. Um, yeah, that, yeah that's, I feel like that's almost succinct. Thanks for joining me. <laughs>
Microsoft is in there too. I'm not done. He's got Microsoft money. Okay, now I'm done.